0: Hello, and welcome back to Syria's Lost Generation, a podcast about young Syrians displaced by war. This show is a production of Foreign Policy in partnership with World Vision and the Syrian American Medical Society. I'm your host, Liam Cunningham. On this episode, we'll be exploring more in depth the struggles to educate Syrian refugees, as many of the Syrian children born in exile are now well into elementary school. When the war in Syria began, many people expected it wouldn't last very long. After all, dictators in Tunisia, Egypt and Libya fell quickly. Syrian protesters drew inspiration from the Obama administration's approach to those other uprisings. Some Western analysts believed that Bashar al-Assad's government was weak and would quickly fall. Many Syrians believed the same thing in those early months, as rebels took control of many areas from Assad. They were cheered on by the Syrian diaspora and by some foreign governments. But the revolutionaries were hindered by their own divisions, and the United States would only provide limited military support. Assad, meanwhile, bounced back with help from Iran and later Russia. We're joined again by journalist David Enders, who has reported from the Middle East since 2003 and lives in Lebanon. He was on the ground in Syria during the first years of the fighting and witnessed towns and cities fall to the rebels. David, what was it like in Syria in twenty twelve and twenty thirteen
1: well, it was it was terrifying and it was exhilarating. Um I had been to Syria many times, and so it was a place where people didn't really discuss politics and then to suddenly see it broken wide open and to be able to report and these particularly young people who suddenly had this this agency. To rise up against this government that they had come to hate and to be given that sort of transformative agency was amazing it's It's an incredible thing to watch people suddenly taking history into their own hands and and creating it for themselves that it, it's these moments don't occur every day. And then at the same time, it was a level of access to war that um it was beyond anything I had covered in Iraq or Lebanon or um, I had been working in Libya prior to the Syrian uprising. Um, you were really just able to be on the front lines with these, with these young men particularly and, and it, was, it was quite frightening at times as well.
0: And how much of the war did you cover?
1: I covered the first two years inside Syria, um, 2012 and, and 2013. Um, and then after that, it became very difficult to, to work around a number of the factions. It just became extremely dangerous to, to work inside the country um, by
0: 2014. Yeah, and you were, you were abducted, David, weren't you? Could, you? could you tell us a little about that?
1: So in February 2013, I needed to or I was attempting to gain access to a front line that was held by Jabhat al-Nusra, uh, al-Qaeda's branch in Syria, in order to report on some of the uh, chemical weapons infrastructure in northern Syria. They had actually taken over an area that had housed uh, what was believed to be a Syrian government uh, chemical weapons warehouse. Um, by that point, it was it was already quite dangerous and, and people were being abducted on a regular basis. Um, the area where I approached Jabhat al-Nusra was basically the same area where, where James Foley had been kidnapped six months prior. Um, listeners may remember he was an American journalist who was abducted while working in Syria and later beheaded by the Islamic State along with a, a number of other captives. So we approached Jabal al-Nusra and made that request of one of their commanders. And this was something that, that I only felt doing in the presence of my Syrian colleagues um, because we had worked in the area for a long time and were, were known to a number of the groups fighting in the area, and still this particular group did not know who we were. And shortly after our, our meeting with them, um, abducted us on the suspicion that we were that we were spies and fortunately probably what what freed us was being known to a number of the other groups once once we were interrogated and I was able to essentially uh offer up references um from other groups of fighters in the area they they let us go after after a day in captivity
0: but it was dangerous for for every reporter there I I would imagine
1: my Syrian colleagues, um, one of the men I was abducted with, that was the second time he had been abducted. So uh, for Syrians, it was becoming just just an everyday, very clear and, and present danger was was being abducted by one faction or another, uh, perhaps uh, just because they were were criminal, or perhaps you had said something that angered them. I mean, life was becoming quite cheap by that point, you might say.
0: OK, uh, let's get on to the refugees. As I said a bit earlier with this episode, we're focusing on schooling and just how hard it is for displaced Syrians to get an education. We're still in Lebanon, where nearly one million Syrians are registered as refugees. Mm.
1: The neighborhood of Badawi sits on a hill above the city of Tripoli, a poor part of Lebanon's poorest city. The neighborhood is named for its most prominent feature, a refugee camp founded in 1955 for Palestinians who fled to Lebanon after Israel was established. Lately, the Palestinians here have been joined by Syrians. Right. Among them is Hiba, a fresh graduate of Damascus University who is teaching 6th grade English at Teowar al a private school for Syrians in the neighborhood. She is 23 years old and is asked to have her last name omitted from the program because she still has family living in Syria and is concerned for their safety.
2: Teaching is my passion, I think. And teaching is the only profession that creates all other proficiency. So it's really important.
1: People talk about a lost generation of Syrian children. Yeah. How does it make you feel to be a a part of this generation and to be teaching children from this generation?
2: It's really hard and heartbreaking to be a part of teaching uh, this generation because uh, you can see that the result of that were on them.
1: In what ways?
2: I have in, uh, in the grade 6, uh, students, uh, their age 15 years old or more, so they have lost some years not studying.
1: They should be how old in grade 6?
2: Grade 6, nearly 11 or 12.
1: Hiba's family was living in an eastern neighborhood of Damascus called Al-Kabun when the war began. The demonstrations in Kabun began in 2011, and the fighting started in 2012. By 2014, Kabun was largely controlled by rebels called Jaysh al-Islam, also known as Islam's army, a Saudi-backed group that would become one of the most powerful factions in the war. The group would make common cause with rebels linked to Al-Qaeda, and became generally known for being as brutal as any other group toward its opponents. The government and its backers eventually laid siege to the area, surrounding and starving out the rebels and then demolishing the neighborhood.
0: Government forces are flattening entire neighborhoods held by rebels and more than...
1: In 2017, I made a trip to Damascus to see some of this destruction, visiting completely empty neighborhoods that were now under control of militia allied to the government including Hezbollah.
0: Hezbollah fighters taking aim. Their target, armed groups who fight against them and their ally, Syrian President Bashar al-Assad.
1: I've reported from a number of war zones over the last two decades, but the extent of the destruction was stunning. Not a single building was left intact. Entire districts were turned to rubble. Hiba's family fled in 2013, first to another part of Damascus and then to Lebanon. But while the rest of Hiba's family stayed in Lebanon, she and her father returned to Syria. He had to work, and she had to finish school. She lived with relatives in a nearby neighborhood while finishing her studies.
2: When I first came to Lebanon in 2013, nothing was certain. We didn't didn't know if Lebanon was a good place to be in. So... Because of that that nothing is certain we didn't know what to do. My father wanted me to go back to Syria to to study. Because education for him is really important.
1: And you said you were displaced for
2: many times leave and going back.
1: When you say displaced what, is, what does that mean there was Fighting.
2: the house was destroyed? Just explain to us what Not destroyed, but there were fighting between the Syrian army, of course, and the militants, and bombs, and all the other weapons. And because of that, we had to leave the house, our house, many times. And when things went back to normal, we went back to our house. that happened a lot
1: and many of your students right they left before they were old enough to really remember what was happening or 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 they they have but but you saw it you're old enough to understand what was happening and to so what what did you what did you see and what did you think about not
2: see but the noises were planes sound of the weapons.
1: And so you were there when the fighting started, and you were also there when the fighting Damascus is mostly quiet now, Mm -hmm. right?
2: Yeah. There are so many crises in the state, the transportation crisis, the electricity crisis. So there are so many crises after the fighting, of course.
1: Hiba, like millions of other Syrians, is in a sort of limbo going back to Syria is either unappealing or impossible but staying in a neighboring country like Lebanon offers few options what is the solution to the crisis Lebanon
2: or in Syria
1: For Syrians in Lebanon what is the solution for helping them
2: They need a magical solution <laughs> Even when you graduate you don't have you don't find a job so all the graduated they leave Syria and uh, searching for another place.
1: As the Syrian government laid siege to and eventually regained control of areas it had lost during the war, many were systematically demolished, shelled completely to ruins. Kaboon has been rezoned under recently passed laws that allow the government to confiscate property in areas destroyed by the fighting. Businessmen and developers close to the government can then purchase the land cheaply for redevelopment. In Syria, as anywhere else, war has an economic angle. The redevelopment is also part of the broader changing of demographics in Damascus and the country at large. Entire neighborhoods and towns have been cleansed of one sect or ethnicity, often depending on their location. What was your house like before it was destroyed? big.
2: Each one of us had a room for himself, two floors. I was really shocked when I knew that my house was completely destroyed. And I remember I cried. It was surprising. Because in my neighborhood, uh, there was a size fire for four years. And when they failed, to reach an agreement that the militants in my neighborhood to be transported to the northern parts of Syria, when they didn't reach an agreement, they destroyed the the neighborhood completely.
1: Hiba's school is private. It costs the equivalent of about $40 a year, but waives the tuition for as many families as it can afford to. But even here, retention is difficult, says Mustafa al-Hajj, the principal. Mustafa himself came to Lebanon as a refugee when he was 27 and helped found the school shortly thereafter. He says many families who came a decade ago ran out of money in the first year or two, and their children face pressure at a certain age to leave school and work full time. You can glimpse the problem clearly by counting the number of students in each grade at Teor al-Amal. They number 400 kids in the first grade, but only 11 in the 11th grade these
3: children maybe one day they will be criminals, they will be terrorists if you cannot save them by helping them to be in the schools so i'm asking all of the people who are able to to teach and to educate a child to come and to uh, to help in the schools and it's, it's the right place to help the syrian community i mean education is the food of the soul like if you can Feed these children with the education, I think you will grant the future for the humanity, not only for the Syria.
1: Though many Lebanese schools initially accepted Syrian students, Lebanon's financial collapse has shifted a massive burden onto a public school system already stretched thin.
4: The local currency has lost more than 80% of its value on the black market. Food prices have skyrocketed.
1: COVID-19 has made the problem even worse. Online learning is difficult when an entire family shares a single smartphone. The virus is causing fear for Lebanon's six million people, but few are staying home. Many Lebanese fear their Syrian guests, as the refugees are often euphemistically referred to, will never leave, much as hundreds of thousands of Palestinian refugees remain in the country 70 years after the creation of Israel. In the Bekaa Valley, a Syrian group called Amal, it means hope in Arabic, has set up a network of mobile schools, with the intent of being able to transport them back to Syria when it is possible. One of the students who has attended those schools is 17-year-old Basmala. She says it is an imperfect solution. Because there
4: is no place which is fixed with the weather, with the rain and the cold. So it is everywhere. And that is more tiring because we will be moving with it as well. So Amal schools are mobile because the places we live in are not fixed in the camps. Someday, if we went back to Syria, we will take the school with us so that we can rebuild Syria.
1: Racism and discrimination are constant problems for Syrians living in Lebanon. In the last three months, disputes in two different cities in northern Lebanon between Syrian and Lebanese residents have turned into attacks by Lebanese on entire communities of Syrians, displacing thousands of refugees all over again.
4: Here in Lebanon, we are not safe anymore, and we don't want to stay here anymore. It is hard for us to learn here, especially for the girls, especially for the kids.
1: Basmala is fortunate. The school she attends now provides extracurricular programs like robotics and helps students find scholarships to study at private universities in Lebanon. The robotics program has allowed students to travel and to break the stereotype of helplessness that marks many of the refugees. Basmala and others have won local robotics competitions and also traveled to compete in the U.S. She says that Amal schools have lived up to their name, giving children in the camp hopes for a better future.
4: It was hard for a Syrian, and especially for a Syrian girl, to travel to America for competitions to help Syrians, to help kids who are refugees here in Lebanon, and to give them an incentive to be what they want to be, and not just refugees. It was really nice what I experienced there. I learned and I told the kids that we are not here just to be refugees, kids sitting at home without education.
1: The team's mascot is a working robot called Robo G that traveled with the team to the US once customs cleared it.
4: Robo G was with us as a message from the kids here to the people outside, an ambassador to all the people who are interested in knowing more about Syria and what Syrians see. He had some difficulties crossing the borders, but thank God we got over them.
3: (laughs) Yes.
1: Another of the students in the robotics program at the school is Amina. Amina's family is from the Damascus suburb of Yabrud, and they fled to Damascus first before coming to Lebanon. Thousands of schools inside Syria have been destroyed, and millions of children have gone without regular schooling or any schooling at all.
3: We face a lot of problems with the students here in Lebanon. Like, um, you are a refugee, you are from Syria. Um, so, like we face somehow bullying.
1: What other difficulties are there for Syrians trying to get education in Lebanon?
3: Maybe uh, those who are in the camps. They don't have like uh, money or the possibilities to uh, enter school. But they want really and they are clever. And this is the main uh, point, Uh, they don't have money, maybe.
1: Do you feel Syrian or do you feel Lebanese?
3: No, still Syrian. I can't be Lebanese. because I think they are different from us. Even my friends, it's been hard for me to like uh, let them be in my life.
1: When you came to Lebanon from Syria, what do you remember about Syria before you left?
3: Uh, I remembered when my home is destroyed during the war.
1: Where were you when your home was destroyed?
3: In the home, but in the middle so when like we heard anything we go to the middle
1: so you were how old
3: nine maybe yes nine nine years old
1: and when the fighting would start your parents they would say
3: go quickly go yes where (laughs) to the bathroom
1: why why to the bathroom
3: because it's in the middle of the house so (laughs) yes
1: and how many times did you have to hide in the bathroom before the house was destroyed?
3: Many times. Like every day.
1: For the students living in camps, continuing their education is even more difficult. Back at Camp 005 near the Syrian border, Ruba and Ayub are studying for their exams by flashlight because the power is out. <laughs>
3: Potential of P yani la VP.
2: Potential of N VN. If I couldn't study, I don't know really. But I don't want to stop. If I stopped learning, then a lot of years in my life will go for nothing and I will not benefit from my life. So hopefully, I will not stop. I don't like to stop my education. But if I stopped, I really don't know what I will
4: do.
0: In our next episode, we'll visit with refugees in Jordan, living in a camp the size of a small city, as we continue to look at Syria's Lost Generation. Meantime, thanks for listening. Syria's Lost Generation is a production of foreign policy in partnership with World Vision International and the Syrian American Medical Society. Our producers are Rob Sachs, Alison Meekham, and Dan Efron. David Enders reported the stories you're hearing on the show. Thanks to Laura Gemmel, Josephine El-Haddad, Elias Abuata, John Doutzenberg, and Lubna Hassari for helping bring the series to life. We'll be back next week with another episode of Syria's Lost Generation. I'm Liam Cunningham. Syria's Lost Generation is a production of Foreign Policy, in partnership with World Vision and the Syrian American Medical Society. Both are non-political groups, purely focused on the humanitarian aspect of the crisis.